Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. It is in those times of adversity and uncertainty and unfairness. It is in in those things that we would just assume God leave us out of. It is in those times that we most have the opportunity to live out our faith. Have you ever been in a really tough spot? Have you ever been in a situation where the circumstances were very difficult and you had to make a choice and you knew that the choice you made would probably change your life forever? Listen, either I'm going to stand with God or I'm just going to blend in with everybody else. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. Last week, we started a brand new series that's going to take us through the book of Daniel. As Pastor Clay showed us last week, a young man named Daniel and his three companions were in a tough spot. They were carried off into captivity in Babylon. They were chosen to receive training and to eat the king's food. Now, most people would probably have thought that was a lucky break, but not Daniel. So Daniel had to make a choice, and that choice gave him and his companions an opportunity to live in their faith. Faith is something we should live out every day of our lives. But is it not in those times of greatest adversity that we have the greatest opportunity to live out the faith that we claim that we have? As Pastor Clay takes us on in the story, he's going to help us see the importance of living in our faith and what we can expect as a result of doing just that. We're glad you've joined us for this week's Crosswalk. Now here's Pastor Clay with the second message in the series, Daniel, Unshakable Faith, Unbreakable Promise. tell you all about the time. <clears throat> you know when a sentence starts that way. <laughs> Did I ever tell you all about the time uh, I was in uh, Kenya? And I know I've told you stories about Kenya before, but I ever tell you about the time that I was there. Uh, we were in western Kenya. This was, uh, Kenya, by the way, was the first uh, international overseas mission trip that I ever went on. So it was a uh, shockingly new experience. Uh, but uh, we were over there uh, doing evangelism in western uh, Kenya, um, and while we were there, we, we literally were going out every day, and we were going down the trails, uh, going uh, hut to hut, and uh, sharing the message of Christ with those. I had an interpreter that walked with me, and the other, rest of the team members as they went their different places. And then we would invite them to come back in the afternoon. We were having an outdoor um, in a, a service. We were trying to start a church. What they were trying to do was start a church in that area. And so we were going out and sharing the message of Christ and inviting them to come uh, in the afternoon to a, a service. Well, in uh, Kenya, at least in the part where I was, uh, every hut that you went into, and, you know, they don't see white Americans every day there, I'm sure, um, out out in the bush, and uh, so I'm sure maybe it's a little bigger deal, I don't know how they regularly do it, but, but every hut that you went into uh, would have a chai tea, and, and you know, and in case y'all are thinking, hmm, I love chai tea, wait for it, <laughs> and I don't, I, I, I'm not a chai tea drinker because of this experience, but I, I don't know if this is how it's done everywhere, but the chai tea, at least over there, the tea and the milk and the sugar is all brewed together. And um, I, I don't know what kind of milk it was, but I was born on a dairy, and it wasn't that kind of milk. It was goat's milk or something. I don't, I don't know. But so, uh, but every every hut you went into, it was there. And plate of this bread, 
They had this bread. It was their staple, and I'm sure they lived off it, and it was all they had. They were very poor people, dirt floors, and, you know, I mean, just what you would think. And, but there was this bread, and uh, I don't know how to say it to you. It was just nasty. It was just, it was just nasty. I just couldn't hardly eat it. It's called ugali. And um, uh, I, yeah, I, I said, oh, I know they got that name. Ooh, golly. First time one of them ate it. But, but here's the deal. You, you go into their hut. Uh, they're, they're serving you the best that they have. And there's, I mean, you don't, you, you eat it, right? You eat it. Maybe small bites. But you eat it. Daniel and his buddies were in a similar situation, but for very different reasons. We started last week in the book of Daniel, and we looked at the first eight verses of the book of Daniel. And the, the, the book opens the, by telling us that Daniel and a number of the best and the brightest from the nation of Israel were carried off into captivity by the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. They were carried off to be trained and then put into service for the king and for the, uh, the empire of, of Babylon. And so Daniel and three of his buddies, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, as we said last week, made a determination. They made up their minds that they were not going to eat of the king's food. Now, you can go back and listen to last week's message if you're interested in a little bit of the background of why, uh, if they ate of the king's food... Uh, they would be uh, unclean. They, they would be defiling themselves. They were convinced based on Levitical law and what they could eat and what they couldn't eat. And even though they were in a foreign land, they made this determination. And, and we talked about that a lot last week. As a matter of fact, that's really the only thing that we talked about. That that's really the first step in this thing is making a determination for God. That's what we said. Obviously, uh, that has to have a starting point. And for a follower of Jesus Christ... It has to begin with a determination to recognize my own sinfulness and invite Christ into my life, to begin a relationship with him. That's a determination. If you were here last week, you may remember that I said, a decision is good. A decision will get you started, but a determination will get you to the finish line. So there has to be a determination. And the truth is, there are determinations that have to happen throughout our lives, right? Doesn't life provide all types of opportunities for you to either go with God or not go with God, doesn't it? Workplace or neighborhood or family, it's, it's amazing how many situations come up, how many opportunities there are where we have to say, listen, either I'm going to stand with God or I'm just going to blend in with everybody else. So there are lots of opportunities to make determination. Those determinations have to be made throughout our life. But there are other steps. And I want to share some of those with you this morning. We're picking up the story in verse 9. Daniel chapter 1, verse 9. If you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you, encourage you to open it, whether it's an old school hard copy or whether you have it on your phone app or whatever the case may be. This text will also be up on the screen. Daniel chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. And we'll read to the end of the chapter. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has appointed your food and your drink. For why should he see your faces looking more haggard 
than the youths who are your own age. Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. But Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days. And let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of your youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, their appearance seemed better. And they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. And as for these youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Then, at the end of the days which the king had specified, that was three years, for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and out of them all, not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. And as for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all his realm. Verse 21, and Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. Would you pray with me? Father, thanks so much again for the privilege of being here today. Uh, It so blesses me to hear your people sing your praises, to to hear your people play instruments of praise, and the music is, is beautiful and it always blesses me. But even as we start at the service today, Lord, uh, we pray that it blesses you, that you're pleased with what goes on here. Thank you for your word, which is truth without any mixture of error. Your word that is able to divide soul and spirit, even joint and marrow. And Father, as I often pray, I pray today that you would do surgery on our hearts as we examine the book of Daniel the life of Daniel and these men. Would you cut out of our lives the things that shouldn't be there and would you sow into our lives the things that would be profitable for our lives and for your honor and glory and the building of your kingdom. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, Daniel chapter 1, verse 9 through 21. Let's start today at this place with this step. We need to step out and live in our faith. Now, it's, it's clear already that God has not abandoned these four young men, even though they're living in captivity, even though they're in a foreign land, strange land, strange customs, strange, all this. It's evident that God has not abandoned this, and we're going to continue to see that as we progress through the book of Daniel. But it is also evident that it is in those times of our lives. It is in those times of adversity and, and uncertainty and unfairness and trials and, and all that stuff. It is in, the, in those things that we would just as soon God uh, leave us out of or remove us from. It is just as clear that it is in those times that we most have the opportunity 
to live out our faith. Faith is something we should live out every day of our lives. But is it not in those, in those times of greatest adversity that we have the greatest opportunity to live out the faith that we claim that we have? In verses 1 through 8, Daniel and his buddies, as I just said, made a determination. They made up their mind. We will not defile ourselves by eating of the king's food. It started there. It was that step of determination. But having made that step, they now had to make other steps in their lives. And the next step was to live out their faith. The, the guy that's responsible for them, the king, we read this last week, the king says, all right, take these guys off, fatten them up for three years, teach them everything about the Chaldean uh, lifestyle and who we are and our literature and our history and all that kind of stuff and when they're finished after three years bring them back and uh, we'll see how they're doing the guy that was in charge of Daniel Hananiah Mishael and Azariah says to Daniel and his guys and I'm paraphrasing but he says listen guys I can appreciate this whole devotion to God thing you got going on that's cool but guys if the king sees you looking worse than the other guys. If the king sees you dropping the LBs and looking all haggard, as the text says, then it's my neck on the line. Then it's my head that's going to roll. Right? That's what he says. Now, at this point, Daniel can either say, oh, well, I, I don't think God would want us to get you killed over our taking a stand, so I, I, I guess we better eat the king's stuff. Or he could say, oh, well, we're not eating it, so if I was you, I wouldn't invest in a nice hat because you're fixing to lose your head. <laughs> or he can say, listen, why don't you test us on this? Why don't you feed us nothing but vegetables and give us nothing to drink but water for 10 days? Now, at the end of that 10 days, if we don't look at least as good as those guys that are eating the king's stuff, then you do with us whatever you think fit. Now, ladies and gentlemen, guess what you call that? You call that living out your faith. It's one thing to say that we believe something, but to actually take the step necessary to live it out. Some of you are, uh, may be familiar with the name George Mueller. George Mueller was, uh, in Christian circles, a very famous uh, man from the 19th century. A long time. We lived a long time ago, back in the 1800s. George Mueller uh, was from England. He had this super heavy burden for the orphans of England. And uh, so he wanted to start an orphanage. And he prayed about it for many years. And finally, he came to the place where he, he, he felt like God was saying, this is the time, it's time to do it. And so Mueller, uh, by his own account, prayed and asked God for a thousand pounds, remember it's British, a thousand pounds sterling to start his ministry. God, would you give me a thousand pounds sterling to start uh, the ministry? In this account that I read, it was, it was Mueller's own account. And so I don't know how much long, longer he lived after he wrote this account, but at, at the time that he wrote it, he said, at, at this point in the life of the ministry God has given to me, God has given to me more than 1.1 million pounds sterling. Now, you might think, wow, 
That George Mueller, we could use that guy. He must be quite a fundraiser. He knows how to, how to squeeze it out of them. He knows how to get to their wallets. That, he, that guy's quite a fundraiser. Here's the thing, though. Mueller never asked a single person for a penny. By everyone's account, not just his, he never asked a single person for a dime. He only asked God. Now, and, and, I, I, and included in that article was this story that just so convicted me about the idea of living out faith and what does that really look like. And I just wanted to share it with you because it just, it just blessed me. It's told um, from the perspective of a ship captain uh, on a steamer ship. Let me just read it. Uh, The captain of a steamer ship back in Mueller's day told the story to a passenger. The captain said, the last time I crossed here five weeks ago, something happened which revolutionized the whole of my Christian life. We had George Mueller of Bristol on board. I had been on the bridge 24 hours and never left it. George Mueller came to me and said... Captain, I have come to tell you that I must be in Quebec Saturday afternoon. It's impossible, I said. Very well, if your ship cannot take me, God will find some other way. I have never broken an engagement in 57 years. Let us go down into the chart room and pray. I looked at that man of God and thought to myself, what lunatic asylum can that man have come from? I never heard such a thing as this. Mr. Mueller, I said, do you know how dense the fog is? I want you to listen to George Mueller's response. No, he replied. My eye is not on the density of the fog, but on the living God who controls every circumstance of my life. He knelt down and prayed one of the most simple prayers. And when he had finished, I was going to pray. (laughs) But he put his hand on my shoulder and told me not to pray. Mueller said, first, you do not believe he will answer. And second, I believe he has. And there's no need whatsoever for you to pray about it. Get up, Captain, and open the door. You will find the fog gone. The captain looked at him in just stunned unbelief. And Mueller repeated it. Get up, Captain. He said, in 57 years of going before the Lord, I have never, ever been unable to enter the presence of the king. Get up, captain, for the fog is gone. The captain said, he got up, the fog indeed was gone, and Saturday afternoon, Mr. Mueller was in Quebec. Living out our faith to put feet to what our words say we believe. Maybe you've read this passage in James chapter 2. In the same way, faith by itself that does nothing, would you say that that next part with me? Say it. Is dead. Say it again. Is dead. In the same way, faith by itself that does nothing is dead. Someone might say, you have faith, but I have deeds. Show me your faith without doing anything. I'll show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God. Good. But the demons believe that too, and they tremble with fear. James there is giving us a definition of what faith is. He's defining faith as something more that, that simply comes out of our lips, but is something that, that 
that comes out of our lives, out of our hands, our feet, out of the actions that we, that we take. And it is those opportunities that God gives to us, although we don't like them, of adversity and trials and hardships and all that kind of stuff, when we have the opportunity to most display the faith that we live out in our lives. Now, this is a, this is a concept that, that I believe has been lost in the church in America, f- for the most part. For the most part, uh, faith in, in, the, in a religious or spiritual context is thought of as something you have. Faith is, is something you, you believe. Faith is a noun. And in fact, in the dictionary, faith is a noun. But listen to me, ladies and gentlemen, faith is not a noun in the word of God. Not really. Faith is a verb. Faith is an action. Do you step out and live your faith? If you're here and you profess Christ to be your Savior and you've been, you know, yeah, I've been to the cross and I know him as Lord. and Yeah, he, do you live it out? What does that look like for you? Because this is very important. The next step is very important. If you live it out, watch this. The next step, God will step in and show his power. Did anybody amen just then? That would have been a good place. I'd have shouted it if I were y'all. God will step in and show his power. Look at it. Pick it up in verse 15 again. At the end of 10 days, their appearance seemed better, and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. And then at the end of the days, which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them and out of them, out of them all. And remember we said last week, we don't know the exact number, but probably hundreds, possibly thousands. But out of them all. Not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. And as for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them not just better, ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all of his realm. Them with some good vegetables. I mean... I, maybe we should all become vegans. No, let's, let's not go there. I, I, I'm sure that, remember, it's three years, three years of vegetables and water. Vegetables and water, water and vegetables. They probably mix it up every once in a while. Three years. And I'm sure that those vegetables that they ate were loaded with Vitamin A and vitamin B and vitamin D and and whatever. I don't know. But ladies and gentlemen, this was nothing but pure old vitamin G. This was God. This was a God thing. Moving and working in such a way that he so blessed their lives that they were physically healthier, intellectually healthier than than anybody else in the whole place. I, I know this is kind of hard for us to understand in a culture that's kind of obsessed with with, you know, beautifully figured people and, you know, fitness and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not, I'm not saying that's a, a, a bad thing. I try to go to the gym three or four days a week, so I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But in Daniel's culture, having a little meat on your bones was, was a sign of health. 
eating the foods that, may, the, that maybe contained a, a little more uh, high caloric intake level, those types of things, that they were considered signs of, of not only wealth and success, but, but, but of health. Man, you were doing well if you, you, you know, got, got, a little, got a little substance to you. God, it's what God does. Some of y'all heard me say this before. It's, 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 it's who God is. It's what God does. When we, when we step out in faith, God steps in with his power. God steps in and shows who he is if we will just step out and believe him. The king doesn't find anybody else like them in all the realm. Not only are they not like him, they're not even ten times he's, they're better than all the rest. We step out, God steps in. That's just, that's just a principle of God's word. When Cindy and I uh, and, the, and the boys, uh, when we moved to Wake Forest, or made the decision to move to Wake Forest to start seminary, we were living in Atlanta at the time. We owned a home. And uh, in those days, seminary housing was, was hard to come by. It was growing very fast. And there wasn't much housing. And uh, we needed seminary housing because in those days, the price was quite a bit less expensive than, than surrounding, surrounding area apartments and that sort of thing. And... Uh, so we were placed on a waiting list for uh, seminary housing. Uh, had our house up for sale. And uh, uh, my apologies if you're in here and you're a, a, a realtor. Um, we didn't have uh, a super realtor Rick Freeman in those days. Uh, but any, anybody else that's a realtor in here, my apologies. But uh, we'd only, ha- only owned the house for about three years. We had a very small you know, profit margin that we were looking at. And uh, so we made the decision to sell the house on our own. Y'all done some of y'all done that, haven't you? Oh. So we made decisions to sell the house. Well, uh, just before the semester was to begin in Wake Forest at Southeastern, uh, I received notification that uh, an apartment had come up, and so we could, we could come up, we could take an apartment, and I could start the school. Problem was the house hadn't sold yet. So we made the determination, I made the determination that I was going to go ahead and go on up to Southeastern, and leave Cindy uh, and the kids there in Atlanta and leave her with the responsibility of selling the house. After all, somebody had to answer the phone. Somebody had to keep the house looking nice. And shit looks better with furniture in there maybe than when it's empty or whatever all the reasons were. That's uh, what I decided to do. So I, I packed up my uh, 1986 Toyota four-wheel drive V6 extender cab. I love that truck. And headed out. I had a, a single uh, bed, a folding table and chair, um, my clothes, and praise God for microwaves. Had a microwave. And so uh, I went on up. Spring break came, house still wasn't sold, and uh, we had never spent that much time apart, and we just came to the place where we said, you know what, we, just, we can't do this anymore. We can't, it's just too hard. Living apart, we you know, miss seeing each other and hanging out with the kids and all that kind of stuff. And so I said, I'm coming home, we're going to pack up a truck, I pack up the house, load it up, we're moving back up, we'll just have to figure something else out about the house. We got a truck, loaded it up, I got the last piece item on there, maybe it's, I don't know, it's 9.30, 10 o'clock uh, that night, closed down the door, uh, Cindy's about, it's about 10 o'clock, she's mopping the floor in the kitchen, uh, the house, and uh, we're, lead, we're heading out first thing in the morning uh, to go to Wake Forest, and the phone rings. And a young lady on the other end of the line uh, explained that she lived up in North Atlanta. 
uh, on the north side, but her and her fiancé were going to be getting married. They were engaged, going to be getting married, and they wanted to live on the south side. And they had been driving around a few days earlier and had driven into our neighborhood and had seen our house. And, and she said, when we saw your house, it just it really looked nice. And quite honestly, you know, we were looking for a starter home, and we, we just didn't think we could afford your house, so we just drove right on by it. She said, but for some reason, I, I, I made him stop and back, he literally had to back up to, to write down the phone number so I would have it. And then I don't remember how long, but a, a few days went by or whatever. And, and, then she, uh, and then she said this. She said, but for some reason, uh, tonight, I just felt like I was supposed to call this number. If I remember right, uh, they came down that night. They came all the way back down that night, saw the house. We left town the next day with a signed contract in hand for what we wanted to get out of the house. You know what I think? I think God was just waiting all along for us to just step out in faith so that he could step in and, and, and do what God does. I was kicking myself, wishing I had done that back in January. That's who he is. That's, that's what he does. When Noah stepped out in faith, God stepped in and wiped wickedness from the face of the earth. When a young shepherd named Daniel, or uh, excuse me, named David, stepped out and challenged a heavily armored, heavily uh, weapon-carrying giant, godless giant, God stepped in and struck him down with a slingshot and one stone. When Peter stepped out of the boat in faith, God stepped in and allowed him to walk on water. That's impossible, by the way. When a little boy stepped out and offered his lunch, his only lunch, God stepped in and fed well more than 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves. On and on we could go example after example. That's who he is. That's what he does. He's God. We step out in faith. He steps in in his power and displays it. Now, a word of warning here. God is not the giant Visa card in the sky. Okay, guys? You understand? I can't just by faith, claim a Ferrari. It is uh, amazing to me how many people look at God from that perspective when they begin to think about what it means to, to step out or to live in faith. It's astounding to me how many people seem to have that idea about God when nothing in Scripture indicates that, by the way. But it, it, they treat God as if, almost as if he's a genie who's going to grant all of their wishes. But instead of rubbing a bottle, they, they bow their head and, and close their eyes and poof. That, that is not what walking by faith, that is not what stepping out in faith is about. It's never been about that. It's never been about putting God on the spot. It's always been about putting ourselves on the spot. By taking God at his word and stepping out in the reality of that word so that God can then step in and do what God does as only God knows best, as only when God knows best. Can I, can I just give you one practical example? And I, and I, I love this passage of Scripture, and, and I know this is where 99% of people struggle in this area. Philippians chapter 4. Don't worry about anything. Don't worry about anything. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace 
will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. You know that? I love that. I love the way the NCV translates that. As you live in Christ Jesus. Not just as you have faith in Christ Jesus, as you live in Christ Jesus. You, you see that. Because God's word says that, you then act upon it, thereby demonstrating that you actually believe what it says. And so, when the downsizing word starts being tossed around the office, when the doctor's office calls back and says, test results revealed higher than normal levels and we're going to have to schedule more testing, when the, when the boss is too mean, when the spouse is too moody, when the problems are too big, when the checking account is too small, when the to-do list is too long, when the time is too short, when the problems are too many and the solutions too few. Ladies and gentlemen, that's when we have the opportunity to actually step out and demonstrate that we believe what we say we believe because we act on what we say we believe. And when we act on what we say we believe, we've just opened the door for God to step in and be God in our lives and do what he knows is best. Can I tell you how he's gonna respond? What he's gonna do? Can I tell you that that he's gonna remove the fog every time? I'm not God. I, I can't tell you that. I can only tell you that it's a principle of God's word that when we walk with God, God walks with us. And we step out in faith, it opens the door. It provides opportunities for God to step in and show that he is God. Which then brings us to the last idea this morning. We both will step on and experience God's plan. Again, verse 21, and Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. As far as we know, Daniel never got to go back home. As far as we know, he died in that foreign land, living among foreign people who worshiped foreign gods. But in that life, listen to me, ladies and gentlemen, Daniel walked in the presence and the purposes and the plan of God. And that's all you can really ever ask for out of life. To be able to step on with God and know that God is walking with you through whatever it is that you are coming up under obedience to God. You're stepping out into faith that you say you believe. God is stepping in then and walking with you through all of this. Daniel was almost certainly a teenager when he was carried to Babylon. And he served under four different administrations. Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar of the Babylonian Empire. Darius and Cyrus of the Medo-Persian Empire. Four kings came and went, but there was Daniel all the way through all of it. Because God was walking with him. He would have lived at least into his 80s, maybe even into his 90s. I say it again. When you come to the end of your life, when I come to the end of my life, and we all want to live a long life, we all think we want to you know, live a long time and all that kind of stuff until till we're 101 and then go to sleep and not wake up. That's how we all dream that it's going to happen. We all want to live a long life, but none of us know how long that life is going to be. None of us know how long we're going to be here. But however long it is, 
If you can look back at your life and say, you know what, as best I know how, I tried to live in my faith. I tried to live it out in my life. I saw God step in time and time and time again in my life. And together, God and I walked through my life and, and, and towards his purposes and his plans. If you can come to the end of your life and you can say that, folks, there is nothing better that you can do. Nothing. You, you can, in this life, you can make a lot of money if, if you have the right situation, the ambition, the drive, whatever, you can make a lot of money. You can, you can climb corporate ladders. You can, you can go through a bunch of relationships. You can have all the toys and the trinkets that the world has to offer. You can have all of those things, but nothing, I'm telling you, nothing will ever compare to living a life in a foreign land or in a place where you're comfortable. Nothing will ever compare to knowing that you're walking with God and he's walking with you. Some of y'all probably know this passage of scripture from uh, Jeremiah chapter 29. Uh, it may sound a little different in the New Century Version, but it says, I say this because I know what I'm planning for you, says the Lord. I have good plans for you, not plans to hurt you. I will give you hope and a good future. Right? You, you know that, that verse? That's, that's a favorite verse of a lot of people. But a lot of us oftentimes don't take the time to actually look at the context of that verse. Do you know that verse was part of a letter that the prophet Jeremiah wrote to the inhabitants, to those who'd been carried off into captivity in Babylon? He wrote the letter under the inspiration of God to encourage them and to remind them that, yes, God had to step into their lives and bring some discipline because of where they had gone, what they, how they had drifted from God. And so, as we said last week, as a loving Heavenly Father, He has to deal with that. Yes, God had had to, to deal with them, but God hadn't abandoned them. God hadn't left them alone. No matter what the circumstances looked like, God was there every step of the way, and He was going to be with them. And even to the extent that, that the promise came that He was going to bring them back, that someday the people of God would come back into the land and come, come back to Jerusalem. What a great promise. Daniel would have almost certainly have heard or read that letter himself and also been reminded, yes. And I, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know, because listen, folks, as we're going to go on in the book, this is only the beginning for Daniel. This is only the start of opportunities for God to step in and display his power. But Daniel was reminded that, that no matter what happens through it all, if I will actually step out and live my faith, stand on it, let it affect my actions and my attitudes and, and my thought processes, then God says he will step in and, and his power will work in a situation and together we will step on into whatever God has in this life, and whatever God has waiting for us in eternity. Sound like a plan? Sound like a few good steps to take? Take the step of a determination. I'm giving my life to Christ. He's worth it. I want to follow Him. I need my sins forgiven. I want the life that He promises that I can have. And then step out and live what you say you believe. God will step in and you both can step on into whatever God has. Thanks, Pastor. What a great example Daniel was. The great thing was, as Daniel and his companions stepped out in faith, they found God was right there with them. God demonstrated His power by working in a supernatural way in their lives. As you just heard Pastor Clay say, God wants to do the same thing in your life. God is looking for men and women who will live out their faith so that He can show them and the world that He is God. God has plans for our life discovering those plans, and being used by Him to make a kingdom difference. 
That's a life worth living. We're glad you spent some time with us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships, and instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone and everyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross, and it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.